This podcast is proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli. Hello, and welcome to episode 68 of Tamper Tantrum. Last week, we began an absolutely whopping micro-series of all of two episodes on the stories behind the Coffee Men documentary, and I was joined by the guys behind Giraffe, um, Jeff Hahn and Roland Froville, uh, to talk about you know some of those stories and what it was like, and to talk a little bit about authenticity and uh, communication and stuff like that. Um, I had a good time. I hope you did too. But before we kick off the second part of this series, which will be Steve chatting with Sasha, which is kind of cool when you think about it because Steve had um, played a bit of a role in terms of announcing Sasha that year. So it's kind of like going back and revisiting it. Um, I'm actually going to take a slight detour because I can. And I want to chat with another special guest about a project I've been following since it first started back in 2013, which feels like ages ago now, I have to admit. Um, This makes me feel kind of old. But anyway... Uh, I'd like you all to please welcome one-third of the team behind Third Wave Wichlin, uh, Marcus Reuter. Hi, Marcus. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I feel honored. How did I do with the pronunciation? We practiced this before we started recording, and I'm really nervous about it. Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, it, it's it's an um, yeah, it's a mean word for for uh, Americans and uh, maybe not native Germans. Um, yeah, it's just hard pronouncing, but whatever feels right. Uh, yeah, just spell it. <laughs> I'd actually so we, we we had this exercise right before we started where um, I asked Marcus to to pronounce it for me, and he told me this this really incredible story about how there like there there's actually distinct sort of different pronunciations depending on sort of your understanding of German or you know things like Marcus. Would you would you actually say it for us the way it's supposed to be said and say it? <laughs> the way that Americans right. often interpret it, because I think this is really fantastic. Okay, so I tried um, third wave Wichteln. Wichteln. That's it. Cool, cool. And how, did, how, does it, how is it often pronounced, though? Um, it's often pronounced like a Wichteln. Gotcha. So for Germans, or um, it sounds more like Dutch, so it's a, a very yeah. strong... Or um, Austrians have that, or uh, no, not Austrians, Swiss, uh, Swiss people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. also pronounce it. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's a funny part. We thought about changing it in the beginning, but then it was already out there. And yeah. Yeah, it's, it was hard to, to catch it again. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think it's a, it, it doesn't necessarily roll off the tongue, like you said, for, non, for non-native speakers, but it is... Um, I think it's it's a pretty beautiful concept, and um, actually, I, I want to say like Thank back you. when I first heard about the Wishland, um, mm-hmm. I was really impressed by the aim, which was I think back then it was to connect the world through coffee, um, and I automatically assumed that this was a project set up by some very dedicated coffee professionals. Um, but you and your co-founders Andrew and Thorsten don't work in coffee, do you? <laughs> no, is- not really. Uh, we love coffee, but uh, it's not our profession. Yeah. <laughs> So what's your day job? Um, in my daily job, I work for um, a design department for a big telecommunication company here in Germany. Mm-hmm. And my job is more or less very similar. It's uh, to connect people uh, more in a business world. So um, I connect uh, internal people of our company with uh, external experts, with uh, startups, with um, clients, with customers. Yeah. And um, I'm doing events for this. And yeah, um, yeah. so um, nothing with coffee, but still uh, very connected to uh, this project. 
Well, but I, I, it's not only connected to this project. It's also, I mean, it is connected to coffee, really. I mean, we, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> even if we're not doing such a great job of it, like our, our job is to connect people to the coffee itself um, from mm-hmm. a specialty perspective, but also to connect communities together. And the, there have been debates about whether or not we're doing a, a good job at that. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we're, we're sort of, we're, we're meant to be sort of in the middle of everything and sort of connecting people. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say you're a coffee person professional at this point oh, especially <laughs> all right <laughs> but so like back in 2013 there were mm-hmm. what only you, you shared some numbers with me before we got started only 360 participants from 26 countries um and it's grown <laughs> so much since then um what yes. is it in 2015 it was over 2000 participants from 65 exactly. countries yeah that that was overwhelming. But uh, the, the funny part is that you said uh, in the beginning it was only 300 people or <laughs> That's something true. about yeah, yeah. But the funny part was that uh, as we started, it was just an idea and um, it was public. It was the internet. So yeah. it got viral, more or less. Yeah. But uh, um, we were overwhelmed. So uh, we didn't know how to handle it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the problem was that we had no system behind it we had no mm-hmm. algorithm so what we did is uh we made everything by hand we wow. did the raffle we like uh, the the um, correlation about who's sending coffee to who per, um, person and uh, the problem was that then we had to send 300 emails by hand <laughs> <laughs> and that was horrible there were like three weekends full of email writing and yeah. Oh my goodness. But still fun. <laughs> still fun. But and, and but how did that how did that come about? Because um, I remember seeing or hearing that, you know, the three of you hadn't actually ever met in person. So it really truly yeah. was sort of an internet <laughs> community thing. But like, what what was the actual impetus for starting the exchange? Um, the thing was that um, I guess we were all into coffee, yeah. and um, since. Torsten, Andre, and me, we all, uh, we, we like social media and we like mm-hmm. posting the things. And of course, we like posting pictures of coffee. So, uh, what happened is that Torsten posted a picture about um, some coffee, uh, coffees from Hamburg. Mm-hmm. And then we, um, Andre um, uh, commented on it. Then I wrote a comment. Mm-hmm. And then I thought about, hey guys, you're from Hamburg and I'm from here from Dusseldorf. So, what about we exchange coffees and um, I can try yours and you can try mine. That would be quite interesting. Yeah. And uh, so immediately they wrote, yes, let's do that. From there on, uh, I had the feeling like, okay, when they respond so fast, we could um, open it up for other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe we should write the the the. the page or something, uh, the, the content in English, because most of the coffee people in Germany are English speaking. Mm-hmm. So when you take a look at Berlin, there are a lot of Australians, Americans or uh, English people. So it makes sense to make it in English. And yeah, then it happened. <laughs> people, uh, yeah, spread it. And uh, even Sprach did also, yes. uh, I think, uh, a report about it. So yeah, something, uh, yeah, we weren't quite uh, prepared for. But. 
But you handled it that first year and it went so well that when it came around to do it again the second year, like the numbers jumped exponentially. It was was incredible. So you must have done a good job. So congratulations for successfully. Thank you. And uh, thanks to the people. Um, Because uh, it it was easy for us because, um, yeah, we just used the the hashtag third wave Wichteln, which, Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe even uh, got some attention because it's such a weird word. Yeah. And uh, from there on, uh, I think even in the first year, we had like several hundred pictures of coffee with the hashtag, with people um, unboxing uh, the coffees they got and, and uh, doing cuppings and yeah. met for, for an exchange. And this, yeah, this, I think, made it into the thing that it's now, mm-hmm. more or less. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was actually coming to that. That's a, that's a nice segue. Um, mm-hmm. Is that, you know, it's no longer just the exchange itself, although I suppose that that's still sort of the main part that we all sort of associate with um, third wave Wishdown. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also become a resource, both as an extensive coffee map, which I am, will be completely honest with you, I use that whenever we're running an event somewhere. Um, I always put mm-hmm. it together a map for our speakers and for our staff and our crew. That way they know where to find coffee and food and drink. And your mm-hmm. map is the first place. I go. Um, but then also as a Facebook group for crowdsourcing recommendations and answering questions. And um, how mm-hmm. did that sort of evolve out of the exchange? When did that come about? Um, the thing was that people were asking us via emails like, okay, when is the Wichtel happening again? Mm-hmm. And can we do it more often? And things like that. And so, um, and what we also experienced in the first year that some people don't might quite get the idea of third wave or Mm. specialty coffee Mm -hmm. so from there on um, we thought about okay um, maybe it's not only their fault because um, we don't explain it too good so Mm -hmm. um, we thought about okay let's start a group let's start uh, something where people can exchange we'll talk about it and um, it's not always easy to explain why specialty coffee is better than yeah others and uh, convenience products uh, and so <coughs> sorry <coughs> it's easier for us um, yeah to to have this kind of um, conversation and the thing is with the with a map it was a natural development because mm-hmm. a lot of questions were about um, hey I'm in Paris right now where can I get coffee mm-hmm. and um, so uh, it was a natural thing that we said, okay, we should collect that information about where to get specialty coffee, but we don't want to do it ourselves. Uh, yeah. That's why we have a community, so we opened it up. But in the beginning, it was completely open and it was messed up, so a lot mm-hmm. of coffee places got deleted by accident or something. Yeah. So what we now have is like that it's an open platform, more or less, so people can write in a list uh, yeah. their coffee place. And then we do some kind of um, um, checking if the place is already in the map, if it's really third wave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we add it to the um, Google Maps, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely, I guess, you know, a hurdle of trying to scale quickly, right? You know, when you have exactly. your crowdsourcing information and you want to make sure that it's right or giving people access to the back end. And now all of a sudden, you know, you've got a system in place. But what are, what are some of the other hurdles that you've faced as you've tried to to scale the processes behind the witch challenge. I mean, obviously, you're not writing your own emails anymore. You're not sending them individually. <laughs> like, what are you yeah, doing yeah. now to try and try and make that process easier? So, um, what happened also in the first year, since we did it by hand, that 
yeah, of course, it got some errors, some mistakes, and uh, we we will mess some stuff up. Um, now, since uh, we we have an algorithm for the raffle and an, uh, more or less uh, um, algorithm also to send the emails, that um, this is sec secure and 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 um, yeah better, mm -hmm. but. Um, some errors are still made because uh, yeah, the project is made by humans. So mm -hmm. not from the organization, but from the participation. Right. So what happened is that people participate, but they haven't read the rules. So mm -hmm. or, or not the rules. It's not like ruling that they have to follow it, mm -hmm. but they should follow it in order to make it um, a, a good experience for everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the problem is that... Uh, in the beginning, people don't read it that they don't think about specialty coffee. Mm -hmm. So they send like espresso beans, ground coffee, mm -hmm. and convenience products. So it's like all more or less wrong from the idea. And of course, the person who receives that package is not truly happy about it. Right, yeah. <laughs> so um, that was one mistake. And uh, the other mistake is that, um, of course, it's an international thing and uh, with international packages and international, ship international shipping, there could be some problems. So um, we um, wanted the people to fill out a customs form where it says, okay, this is um, whole coffee beans, roasted, and it's a gift to someone else. And the gift shouldn't be above, I don't know, even $20 is okay. Mm -hmm. But uh, then it should not get held up in customs mm -hmm. from, the, from the labeling point of yeah. view. Of course, it will always be because when people from Colombia send coffee to the Netherlands, yeah. there might be some ideas that it could be something else than coffee. So, yeah, yeah they keep it up and, and want to check if there's really coffee inside. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a mixture. It's like a mixture be because uh, there are a lot of institutions involved, uh, mm -hmm. customs, parcel services, uh, even the mailman in the, in the yeah. end. Um, when they realize, oh, the coffee uh, or the package which I'm just delivering smells so good, <laughs> maybe I should open it. I, I don't know if that yeah. happened, but yeah. we can imagine. And yeah. uh, so it, it's hard for us to tell why the pack, uh, pack, uh, coffee packages don't arrive. Mm -hmm. But... Um, and unfortunately, there are also some reasons and um, some, some hurdles we can't solve. And, right, exactly. Uh, that's yeah. the sad part. But in the beginning, that's why we want to communicate clearly that there are some things people should focus on. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, writing the right address, labeling the coffee um, or the package, yeah. and uh, shipping it early enough. That's also exactly. something. Mm -hmm. Because Wichtown is a Christmas thing. Mm -hmm. It's like the Secret Santa yeah. uh, game. But, um, yeah, so it's Christmas, and during Christmas time, a lot of packages are sent around the world. So yeah. um, we try now to be as early as possible, mm -hmm. but still it should, like, come into the Christmas time. Right. Yeah, that's uh, another yeah. hurdle. But another thing, yeah. you guys. Well, and it, it sounds like you guys are, you know, doing everything you can to try and minimize any things that might go wrong but like you said a lot of these things are, are rather out of your control and so um and i yeah. also i also don't want to focus too much on on the negative i was mostly just curious about the, the scaling but uh, like let's look at the positive as well like you 
you know, some really incredible things. I know I've seen some pretty fantastic pictures on Instagram um, of people opening up their packages and like getting extra, extra things. Like what are some of the really amazing and exciting and like happy things that you've seen come out of the exchange? <laughs> um, maybe the, the best part about it is how open and how uh, like-minded mm -hmm. the people are. Mm -hmm. So they don't care about any uh, type of... Um, um, uh, Mm -hmm. I'm missing the word. Um, um, thinking about uh, gender, nationalities, races, or anything. Ah, mm -hmm. So uh, it's it's just about coffee and yeah. um, being in an open community and sharing and uh, things like that. So when we exchange, people don't say, "Oh no, I don't want to send into this country," or um, "I don't want to send whatever." Right. So. It's completely open and you can even see it in the community on Facebook that mm -hmm. people respond to each other and it's just focusing so much on the, on the giving than the, the taking and the sharing. Right. And that was the most impressive part. Um, yeah. But to give some examples, um, there were <coughs> people who were um, like not only exchanging coffees but uh, they kept on uh, almost creating a friendship out of it yeah. so they they kept on exchanging coffees they were in touch and what we found out that even people met each other afterwards mm -hmm. so um, either the the people behind or uh, when the people liked the coffee so much they received that they would visit the roastery or the coffee place yeah and that was fantastic because That's something we wished for, mm -hmm. but that it actually happened was, was uh, yeah, well, heartwarming. Like one of my favorite things to, to come out of it is like watching people come together in local communities with their, with John Coffee and to mm -hmm. chase them together, to have a, a cupping of anyone who's, you know, come by and, and watching people sort of, you know, like meeting new people out of those situations or, you know, getting to try lots of new things at once. So it's really, it's not just engaging person to person um, in mm -hmm. that way, but also engaging entire local communities as well, which I think is really fantastic. Yeah, that, that, that's really great. And uh, what we found out is that there were cuppings, uh, After last year's um, Wichtern, there mm. were cuppings all over the world and um, they were meeting up and uh, even here in uh, Düsseldorf, maybe it's something special because one of the founders, uh, me, <laughs> is living here, <laughs> but still we had like uh, people from the whole area, not only this town, coming mm. together. So uh, we were more than 50 people with more than 40 coffees wow. and it was crazy because uh, of course you can question if that's... Uh, a good cupping, but mm -hmm. it was not about like doing a professional cupping. It was about um, l looking at the packages, uh, trying something um, special. There mm -hmm. were some, uh, of course, there were coffees from all over the world. And it's interesting to see that, um, for example, that in Saudi Arabia or in um, Iran and, and these countries, they even there, their specialty coffee now. And um, it's it's cool to see how, how far they are, how advanced and uh, how good their coffee is. Um, or even in, in certain countries uh, where, where the coffee is grown, for example. Mm -hmm. Where we have uh, coffees not only grown in uh, Colombia, but also roasted and, and yeah. Uh, yeah, shipped from there. And this, this was really crazy. But um, yeah, it's it's. We're really thankful for this because um, 
Yeah, it's it's a community that makes it happen. It's not yeah. us it's yeah. or less. It's yeah, just, just we had the idea, yeah. uh-huh. we realized it, but from there on, uh, yeah, it was no longer in our hands. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're just even thinking about it. It's getting me really excited excited for this year. So you know that the thousand dollar question, I suppose, is. Um, <laughs> You know, it's starting to get cold. People are already thinking about this year's exchange. You know, when mm-hmm. is it? When is it going to open? How is it going to work this year? Um, actually, it's open right now. Huh. So uh, we 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 opened up. Uh, we um, had to do some configurations and uh, yeah, uh, do some uh, work on the website. Um, mm-hmm. But we we fa- we were faster thanks to the guys of Present Progressive. Uh, yeah. So it's an agency of two friends of mine who were supporting us as well. There. Also coffee lovers, so yeah. it was great uh, that uh, they were uh, up for this. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, the, now we're we uh, open and we would love to have everybody on board and exchanging coffees with the world. Great stuff. I can't, yeah, I, I think I'm probably going to go. I mean, you know... I, it, it's yeah. Within the next week, I think I'm gonna go register. Once I once I sort of scope out what coffee I think I want to send somewhere. Um, that's exciting. Yeah. So you have time until uh, December first to okay. sign up, and um, yeah, from there on, um, or, or until this uh, time, you can sign up, and mm-hmm. then we're gonna do the raffle. It will take a few days, mm-hmm. and then we want to um, be as fast as possible so that you can ship your coffee before Christmas, and. The people receive their coffees before uh, Christmas. Great. So I've got to get a move on then if I've got until <laughs> December 1st. Cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So I guess my last question is, where does it go from here? You know, you, you guys mm-hmm. have grown something so big. And like you said, it's not, you know, you're just facilitating it at this point. It's, it's just the community. Is there a driving sort of uh, force that you guys want to sort of shape it into a certain direction? Or do you just want to let the community sort of do what the community does from here and just allow it to grow itself? Or any, any particular um, ideas about where it's going to go? Um, particular, not. But, uh, <laughs> of course, the, the direction is clear. So... We, we want to focus on bring, um, bringing the people together and uh, doing more education um, so um, that people understand, uh, okay, what is this really about? So it's about driving this specialty coffee movement further. So it's going to be, so it's more sustainable, it's more fair and, and uh, more... Um, Sustainable also for the producing countries. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, about also about uh, this whole community uh, idea that uh, we want to um, go out and do it not only digitally, connect the people, having a Facebook group and a map, so, but also going out there and uh, let the people come together in such events as the, the cuppings or we also had uh, last year during the Amsterdam Coffee Festival, we had um, a party and a like, fun competition. Mm-hmm. So it was a brew fight night where people just got together, brought their brewing devices, their favorite coffee, and um, yeah, presented it or yeah. prepared it. But of course, it's um, good for the coffee people, but it's also good for the people who are not professionals like us mm-hmm. before because then you see oh what's what else is possible you see new brewing techniques you t- you see what the um, people love about coffee yeah. and um, yeah this this is uh, something we want to focus on when we want to keep it uh, that way yeah yeah 
That's exciting. I, I really can't wait to see how the exchange goes this year and ask also like where, where things go from here. Um, so with that in mind and considering that you've got, you know, a real day job and this is just something you do in your spare time, which still amazes <laughs> me because it's such a huge undertaking. Um, Thanks. I want to say thank you so much for your time today. Um, super excited that the, the form is open. People can sign up and that they will need to get a move on. Um, if they're anything like me, you can't procrastinate if you want to get in this year. Um, I'm really excited to see where things go. Thanks so much, Marcus. Yeah, thank you. And uh, it was fun. And uh, yeah, we're really curious about uh, yeah, how uh, this year's Wichteln is going to be. <laughs> Can't wait to see. This week I'm flying solo uh, because Colin hates me, I think. And we really don't like talking to each other. Um, but I am joined by somebody special, somebody very, very uh, like... Uh, a famous man that has not really has not done a tamper tantrum um, presentation yet, which disappoints me massively, and we're going to have to fix that very soon. Um, but please, like, welcome to Sasha Sestich. Hey, Sasha. Hey, mate. How are you going? I'm very good. I like. I I can't say your name without having the urge to go. Give it up for the barista <laughs> champion of Australia, Sasha Sestich. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just. <laughs> It's a name I feel I have to scream. Um, <laughs> I miss you. So I miss your voice. What can I say? <laughs> uh, it, take, it takes me back. That's for sure. Oh, it's hilarious. Uh, like a lot of the time, uh, yeah, obviously with Tampa Tantrum, we're traveling around a lot, and we were in Antwerp uh, a few months back, and the uh, Belgian barista champion had just been crowned before going to uh, WBC in Ireland, and um, he said, "Can you can you do it?" And I was like, what do you mean, can I do it? And he says, can you just, like, announce me just so I can hear it in my head and I can use it for my practicing while I'm doing the practicing for WBC? It's like, yeah, sure. So I, I'm just a mobile voice to practice stuff like that. Oh, that's um, amazing. Yeah, well, yeah, first of all, thank you very much for having me. And it's it's uh, it's my great honor to be uh, to be talking to you, actually. And, yeah. Oh, trust me, the honor is all ours. The honor is definitely all ours. Um. So for those people who don't know you, Sasha, and I'm kind of I, like, I'm sure everybody knows you as WBC, but like, give us a little bit of your history because I, I, you, you're not, you weren't born in Australia, uh, you know, but you obviously competed for Australia. You're, you're a very proud Serbian. To tell us a little bit about kind of how you ended up in Australia. Yeah, well, I was born in Bosnia, uh, in Banja Luka, and uh, I did live several re years in Croatia, and uh, we had a. We had a lot of wars, as some of you uh, guys are familiar, uh, during mm. the 90s. So I moved from Croatia uh, after that first war back to Bosnia. Then we had another war in Bosnia. Then I moved to Serbia. Um, and, uh, and I guess finally, uh, when we had a war in Serbia, my family and myself decided to go to Australia. So, um, and how old were you when, you when you moved to Australia? I was... Uh, First time when I came to Australia, I was 17 years old, and yeah. uh, I came to Melbourne first. And because mm -hmm. at a time I played uh, European handball, and I can say semi-professionally, at 17 years old. And when I came to Australia, I did not really expect handball to be as low as low quality in Australia at the time. So yeah. I've lasted in Melbourne only a few months. So I moved back to Serbia to continue playing professionally, but. Again, another war started and uh, and everything. So I've I've 
decided to move back to Canberra, 1997, uh, and uh, and yeah, I've stayed in Canberra since. I mean, what was it like growing up in those those times where I mean, you, you know, it's super well documented, and it's, and it's something I remember growing up with as as a as a kid, kind of seeing all of the troubles. You know, Serbia, Bosnia, kind of all of those. What was it like? I mean, were you in the middle of it? Was it just something you lived with day to day? What was that like? Well, it was, yeah, it was pretty tough. Like, um, I mean, as I said in the movie as well, my uh, my dad is Orthodox and my mom is Muslim. Um, wow. So we, we could not really pick an, any side. And we actually did not want to pick sides at all. Um, so... No matter what part of yeah. old Yugoslavia we go to, like if I go together with this, you know, majority Orthodox, um, people will be saying, "Ah, oh, his mom is Muslim," or other way around. Uh, but yeah. I, I guess you know, I always like to look at positive things. It brought my family together, myself and my brother, and uh, we, yeah. When time came, we decided to move. So that's amazing. I mean, that that must be like. In a, such a formative part of your life, that that must kind of like bring so much on, and it's amazing to hear you say, kind of talk about it as a positive because it it brought you all together. Are, are your family particularly close now? Do you think? Oh, I, mean, yeah. I mean, we we very close. Like my at the moment, my parents are building a, building a house, and they've been living with me and my wife, and that's not very common for uh, to happen. Uh, to be to be living with the parents, nope. so, <laughs> that's you know, and it is obviously it is. Your, your wife must be very tolerant. She is very tolerant, and I, I think she really enjoys my uh, company of my parents. And knowing that I've been traveling a lot for the last couple of years, she has been getting a lot of support at home. So, oh, that's fantastic! That's fantastic. So, um, you're 30, 38 now, is that right? Yeah, I think so. Thirty eight. <laughs> You think so? <laughs> 38 uh, last week, oh, week before. I, I, I do that a lot. Um, I kind of like people say, well, oh, like, I really have got to the age now where I say, I have no idea. I don't know. And, and, but I have to actually give people the year I was born to work it out themselves. But like 38, and I can say this because I'm, we're, we're very, well, you, you're, you're younger than me, I'm afraid, quite a bit actually, but we're, we're similar ages in the world of coffee because it seems to be full of young men and women and, and, and you know, when did you get involved in coffee? When, what was your kind of coffee history? Oh God, very late. I think I had my very first coffee when, when I was 22, 23 years old. Um, yeah. yeah, so when, when I came to, to Australia, I've uh, joined the Australian Olympic handball team straight away. And uh, I played handball till 2003, and that's in 2003 is when I finished my hospitality studies, and uh, that's when I tasted. It's probably the first time when I've tasted coffee, um, oh. and um, I, you know, it, it's really interesting because when when I started working in the coffee industry and when I've tasted coffee, I did not particularly enjoy taste of the coffee. Um, and, and to tell you honestly, I have no idea why <laughs> why I've you know decided to drop handball and and being a sportsman and and I still don't really know why I've started coffee. And uh, I always I always ask myself, you know, I always loved creating something like and I loved cooking and I have a lot a lot of passion for for cooking as well. But maybe cooking and being in a kitchen and not being able to share that experience with a customer is. 
it's probably something I did not enjoy as much, but to be able to make coffee and share that moment with a customer is what I really found fascinating and being able to sort of, you know, see when they when they taste that cup of coffee and if they kind of smile, you think, you know, you pat yourself at the back and, you know, you think, oh, you've done a good job. <laughs> um, yeah, I think... I think that's probably first, you know, kind of first love for coffee is to give someone an experience. And you can witness that experience that they actually enjoy it. it it's funny because I, I, my involvement in coffee is for completely the opposite. So I wanted to be hidden away in a roastery so I didn't have to see the customer enjoy the coffee. I just wanted them to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my roaster, Sam Cora, is pretty much like you. He does not want to talk to customers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, roasters are weird. Breeds, yeah, so we, I think we, so. We shouldn't be allowed <laughs> out in the uh, general population. I call I call roasters in a coffee like a goalkeepers in handball. Like you gotta be crazy to be goalkeeper in, in handball, and you know I love hundred kilometer ball to go in your head, and you kind of wanna save it. <laughs> uh, um, you you kind of touched on it a few times, and it was something I really wanted to talk to you about because I think this is an interesting part of your history that people don't really know a lot about. So you competed in the Olympics um, in uh, in Sydney in 2000, didn't you, on the Australian team for handball? Yeah, I did. I was uh, yeah, I was lucky enough to play uh, Sydney 2002 World Championship Games. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was an unbelievable experience. That's just awesome. I, I mean, a, an Olympian and a World Barista champion, it's kind of like... That's two pretty pretty huge things for people that don't know the game of handball because I think it's it, it's quite a it, in some countries it's absolutely massive and then in other places it's quite a niche sport, isn't it? Tell us a little, little, little bit about like what handball is. Well, the way I like to tell like handball is pretty much like soccer with hands um, or water polo but no water. So it's played with the hands. Uh, six players. We have a goalkeeper and um, um, usually. Um, People in attack are supposed to jump over the defense and um, you know jump as high as possible and try to score the ball with you know left or right hand. Um, so it's it's pretty physical. Uh, we can make as many fouls as possible as long as it's body to body contact without being disqualified. So um, it yeah it allows us to play pretty rough but fair fair game. That's exactly what I was going to say. That it's just pretty brutal. Like it's a I, when I've seen handball, I'm just kind of going. I'm never doing that because I'm yeah. such a bus that yeah. I just end up coming off crying after two minutes. Going, hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, definitely one of these pause that you don't really want to play casually in a park with your friends because a lot of people will be injured. Yeah, it's kind of I, I, it kind of reminds me a lot of like the the murder ball kind of stuff. You know, it's that kind of thing where it's like the 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 like the wheelchair rugby that they play at the Paralympics and things. And it's just like it's just full on for the whole time, just people going at each other and then people shaking hands afterwards and like, oh, that was fun. <laughs> so yeah, it's a crazy, crazy sport. Um, so 23, you tasted coffee, uh, and, and, and where did you first work? What was your first entry into the world of coffee? Uh, so my very first entry was Italian Continental Bakery here in Canberra. Um, yeah. So by the time I became, I was I was 23, like as I said, after I finished my hospitality, I've, I've done a lot of, I've tried a lot of different things in hospitality. Uh, I've worked in uh, fine dining restaurants, in um, in function bars, uh, clubs, 
and eventually I got a job as a, as a barista in that bakery. And I wanted to try as much of different fields in hospitality as I possibly could because I had a feeling that that's the industry I like. Uh, it's it's industry that we, you know, it, it depends on the team and, uh, and being a sportsman and playing in a team, I, I kind of found a really strong connection there. Um, yeah. and, uh, and also, um, but I guess the moment I, I made the very first coffees and I started using machine and, and grinding coffee and texturing milk and making these mountain chinos, as we used to call them, because back then best <laughs> coffee was the one with the most froth. <laughs> um, yeah, I sort of enjoyed it. And I've decided yeah. to keep dropping all of my other jobs um, uh, and just focus on the coffee. And eventually I bought, yeah, I, I sort of worked as a barista for a while before I bought my very first business. Um, and, and was the first business your current owner was, or was that was it something else? Or? Yeah, yeah. So the first business, it still exists. Like it is our original owner shop, but um, it took five years to to bring owner to life. Uh, initially, yeah. it was called uh, Hansel and Gretel, uh, which was a chocolate and nut shop doing yeah. about five and a half to six kilos of coffee a week <laughs> on a good week. Uh, so that, that was great, you know, serving 60, 70 coffees a day and, uh, and getting really excited when you, you know, when I make seven or eight, coffee, eight kilograms a week. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and slowly that, that's how it progressed, you know, year by year, I've tried to learn as much as I possibly could go outside of Canberra and get myself inspired and bring that back to the, to the shop. Uh, so the, this shop now it's uh, it's our original shop. It's called uh, On Under Lawns. It's still there and it's yeah, it's it's doing very well, obviously now. Fantastic. So where where does barista competition fall into this? Because you know you you, you kind of did your studies, you kind of started being a barista, then you ended up with your own shop. I mean, where did barista competition start? Because Everybody always thinks that somebody who turns up to WBC is the first time they've competed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it very rarely is because people have gone through, you know, like I, I know for a fact that the Australian Barista Championships for me is one of the toughest to get through. So, uh, you know, you don't just turn up on your first time at Australian Barista Championships and go, oh, yeah, look, I've won. I'm going to the Worlds. So when did Barista competition start for you? Okay, my, uh, my very first uh, Barista Conf was in 2008. Um, so, uh, I reckon like after four or five years working in my shop, uh, and I'm going interstate, um, Sydney or Melbourne, realizing that, you know, I am way behind, uh, what's happening in a, in a coffee scene in Australia. And, um, I've decided to be part of that barista comp circle in order to learn, get inspired and, uh, and learn as much as possible, be able to socialize with, you know, other baristas and hopefully take some of that knowledge back to Canberra and apply it in my cafe. So this is why I started competing. And again, being really competitive, like I found, try to find the reasons why I should stick sort of with a, with a coffee even more. And uh, competitions were very fun, challengeable um, sort of answers. Um, and uh, But it wasn't easy. Like, I mean... Our first competition in Canberra, our second competition, did not even exist. Like, no one wanted to compete here. So, um, wow. not to, not only I needed to say, hey, I want to compete, I actually needed to ask a couple of the colleagues in the company, hey, guys, can you compete? So, compete in what? It was our Brewster comp. So, well, we, because we need to make up the numbers. We need to have minimum six in order to have a state competition. 
So, uh, but yeah, lo- looking at it, that ball back now, it, it's it's actually it's it's pretty nice to see how much you know a city has developed and how much baristas in Canberra have developed since since the beginning. Do you think that 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 urge to compete comes from your kind of like your sports background? You know that I think some people naturally just want to continually measure themselves in whatever they're doing against their peers, and and then for some people like they're not very competitive. Um, do you, do you, do you think it's tied to that part of your personality that's the sportsman? Oh, it's hundred percent. Like people in the roastery say, when we actually we still I really wanted to play table tennis with you in Dublin. To tell you honestly. <laughs> Uh, honestly, like, yeah. I'm the table tennis don. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I, I am the best table tennis player in has been, and everybody t- we, we have know. a table upstairs in our training. And room, Colin, like, Colin was telling me as well. I said, you know what? I really need to play with you, with Stephen, because <laughs> I want to beat you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're big, Colin. Colin's awful at it. Yeah, Just, he's the worst table tennis player ever. Um, but the thing is with Colin, he picks stuff up so quickly. That like if you gave him a day on the table, he'd kick my ass. So I just don't <laughs> let him go near my table. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. But back to back to your question. Yeah, I, I'm very competitive. Absolutely. You know, being a, yeah. and even though that I'm not in, I'm I'm not obviously competing anymore. I always try to find myself a challenge, target something that I can reach to. And um, and I I think this whether I go and you know play casually tennis or we we go for bike ride. I, I sort of want to win. <laughs> and, uh, I love that. Yeah, and uh, and I think it's a, it's a good thing. Like it's uh, it's uh, what's what I've been brought up to from my childhood, and uh, and you know playing handball for many years. It's it's part of me, and I don't think I I can let it out of me anymore. Mm-hmm. So in two thousand and eight, you first competed. Did, did you continually compete from then until? Yeah. Kind of like yeah, so every yeah, yeah. year. So I've competed 2008. I think I came. Uh, so I qualified in ACT, of course, because I've competed against my employees. <laughs> you, know, they, they, yeah, you just like, you are not beating me. Yeah, you are plus, definitely not beating me. They, none of them read rules. You know, I remember one of our guys just for signature drink poured uh, espresso with some vanilla syrup. Da Vinci vanilla syrup. That was his signature drink. So <laughs> mm. level was not high. Uh, but then, yeah, going to nationals and, uh, and you know, obviously not not doing very well. Um, and for first year, I was okay. Second year, I went to nationals and I think I still semi, uh, finished uh, almost last in the semifinals. And then third year, you know, I've tried and I've, I've sort of put quite a bit of energy. I got a little bit of support from uh, Scotty Callahan, uh, which was a uh, world uh, barista champion. Uh, sorry, uh, number three in WBC, in I think in London. It was, it was yeah. 2010, yes, 2010. I remember it very well. Yeah, there we yeah. go. So he helped me a bit and I was sort of, I had expectations that I can cle- at least I can make top six um, and uh, I didn't. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, be, uh, as you said, being competitive and really uh, not giving up but trying to find the solutions, how to get there and how to reach that next step is what kept driving me back in the ring and, uh, and trying harder and trying uh Trying to uh, sort of learn as much as possibly could um, was was kind of my my aim, and it it took me uh it took me four years to make my very first finals in uh, Australian yeah. Barista Comp, which was 2013, uh, the uh, wow. uh, Matt Pegavon. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because well, that's that's what that was the uh, the Melbourne finals, wasn't it? Which yeah. Is, uh, a, a super memorable. Did did you go that year to the WBC when it was in when it was on home turf? Or, oh, absolutely. Yeah, did it was, you see any of the competition? Yeah, it was inspiring watching. And uh, to tell you, honestly, Colin was one of the people that inspired a lot of us in Ona Coffee, just to you know to be able to go on a stage and, and have fun and do do what he believes in, what he's passionate about, and and um, after you know watching a lot of people in the semi-finals and in the finals, like we all. We all were in a, in Canberra at least. We all were very uh, pumped and so oh, let's let's do this again and let's uh, let's try to be uh, great and better next year. Mm. So 2015, your Australian Championships. Talk us through kind of the, the 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 getting there because I remember that year being like this the most competitive like Australian uh, barista Championships like ever. I I just kind of remember this like. There was such a buzz about it that year. So, you you had a competition in Cambria, Canberra. Yeah, so we had a New South Wales ACT barista competition, uh, yeah. which was a which was a pretty strong comp. Uh, and during all of, all of these years, um, like we we in Canberra, we started having lot baristas uh, from our company willing to compete. So I think we had like six seven competitors from us. Uh, competing and uh, and that competition is combined ACT and New South Wales half-half so um, I think uh, that yeah I came first in regional and Hugh Kelly I think came second uh, current yeah. Australian barista champion and uh, and what what was amazing on that day is actually when I've competed in you know, my first hit Hidenori Izaki was there watching uh, because he was in, <laughs> he was invited by ASCA Australian Specialty Coffee Association uh, to mm -hmm. be guest and just to you know hopefully to to come throughout the major cities of Australia and do do some of the talks and some of the inspirational talks. So this is the very first time when I when I've spoken to Hira a little bit uh, sort of with, with extended conversations, um, and yeah, after winning that comp. Uh, Hide came to Canberra. We spent a few days together. This is the very first time when he tasted carbonic maceration process back in Canberra, mm -hmm. and it was it was pretty cool experience putting that coffee on the table for him without telling him what it is, and just getting uh, getting his reactions about the coffee. Uh, and and then yeah, since then we obviously became a really really good friends, and uh, I've asked him to. To help to coach me, yeah. I mean, I think everybody who meets Hide becomes super close friends. But I, I kind of know that you guys, you guys are like a really tight, and I'm, I'm definitely going to come back to that one. Um, but from there, you went to the Australian finals. Talk, talk us through kind of like what, what happened there. So uh, you've won your regional, so you're obviously one of the the people everybody's watching. Um, but who who else was in those finals? Ah, I mean, we we had a uh, Craig Simon, uh, two times Australian barista champion. Yeah, before that he finished number four in the world. Uh, we had a Matt Pega, uh, number three in the world, number two in the world. Uh, so um, yeah, uh, very uh, <laughs> some big heavy hitters in the finals as well. Uh, so uh, and that's scary. I, I'd be petrified of that as as, as as you know being competitive as well. Like looking at these two guys, and I. I 
they're two of my favourite barista presentations I've seen. Like I, I loved Matt's in Melbourne and Craig's in Rimini. Like just sticks in my head so much. I remember all of it. Like he was just amazing. So being being in a, a just a, a, in a national finals with those two giants must have been daunting. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, uh, I mean, we. It is. You're, you're right. Like when you when you look at it from that perspective, uh, we we competing against number two, number three, number four in the world. Um, it is daunting, but uh, I think it's important that we all feel or we try to feel when our time comes. We put a uh, all the hard 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 work, hard yards on the table and and do your absolute best, and then whatever happens, happens. One of the one of the things I love about barista comps, about barista competitions, is you're there competing against yourself. Um, uh, playing sport, you sort of have to win. Uh, you know, I score a goal, you score a goal, and then so there's a lot of tactics during a 60 minutes match if if you play handball. But in barista comp, it's it's not black and white, of course. You know, coffee is subjective, but um, if you do your absolute best, and if you go on a stage and you you give your absolute best, then it's okay. It doesn't matter if uh, if someone else wins. Uh, so, um, yeah. and that's that's how I looked at that competition. I was there competing against myself, not necessarily against some other uh, big superstars. And uh, yeah. it's funny you say that because you you say you're competing against yourself, but I don't think I've ever seen anybody have a team of people around them at, at, at the World Barista Competition that were so tight and so supportive and so on it all. You actually, you, 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 even in the case of you performing on your own, you created a team around you of like really tight people. T tell us about the people who you kind of had in your team and, and how they ended up being part of that. Absolutely, uh, yeah. I, I mean, without, yeah, without my team, I don't think I'd be talking to you today. <laughs> Uh, about this this experiences, so I'll start off. Uh, well, more most importantly, my wife. Like she's been, she's been supporting me and uh, and uh, allowing uh, or being mother and father of our of our two beautiful kids. Uh, mm -hmm. So I could train 10, 12 hours a day. My roster Sam Cora. He's been with me for for many years, and this is the very first year that I decided uh, that he actually should be roasting coffee for me. Uh, before that, I was roasting coffee on my own. Um, <clears throat> Hugh Kelly, uh, he's, uh, he's was my sort of assistant and someone that you know became my my second wife. Like I'd wake up in the morning, and <laughs> he'll spend time with me, and especially in a, in a backstage in Seattle, I could not really handle of not having his presence around me. And uh, it was and uh, John Gordon, like John Gordon, we've been friends for for quite a few years, and John Gordon has. Helped me back in 2014 uh, when I when I made Australian finals again. Uh, so he was part of that team, and um, I guess my my inspiration and amazing friend Hidenori Zaki was there. So we, we had a pretty big team. But then again, we have Camilo, producer, and um, and what was really amazing the moment when a um, lot of producers had coffee producers that I won Australian. A lot of them, you know, bought a ticket and they said, oh, we're going to come and watch you in Seattle. So we had a, we had a lot of friends from uh, Brazil, from Honduras, uh, Colombia, and the rest of the world coming over and supporting. And, uh, and things, things like that, as you say, you know, when, when you go on a stage, you can just see there's so many friends that, 
you know they they support you and that gives you an extra energy just to just to go out there and you know be yourself on stage i think like you obviously had that 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 big part like the you know very tight team that was there um, but you also had another team, which is the main reason why we're talking today. Is you know you had another team following you around as well with cameras and microphones and uh, uh, all the other things. Did that add any extra pressure to what you were doing? That you'd got these other group of people around while you're trying to like, I'm trying to make twelve drinks here. Can you please get the camera out my face? Yeah, <laughs> you know that's uh, really interesting. Like Jeff Roland, producer and director of the Coffee Man. Uh, they approached me about 12 months before WBC and they approached me to do some uh, video recording uh, and sort of record what I do at the origin. Uh, and you mm. know, when, I, when I do my coffee travels, they, they wanted to, I think the idea was that they make some mini series about different origins and countries and relationships I have and sort of different coffees and cultures as well. So uh, our first trip was uh, Ethiopia. And uh, and spending you know ten twelve days with them in Ethiopia and having a microphone from six o'clock in the morning and camera, the first two three days was very uncomfortable and <laughs> I, I did not enjoy the experience at all. And uh, I kind of wanted to talk to producers, but then I don't want them to record me. I don't know why, but I just didn't like that. So I was sort of um, trying to <laughs> avoid them as much as I could. Uh, but. Yeah. Yeah. I think afterwards you just get used to it, and uh, and both Jeff and Ola, they are they are amazing. Like throughout this entire progress, we became really good friends, and then um, so after several days, I did not feel like I was talking to camera. I felt like I was just talking to another mate, and yeah. uh, and that that made it really, um, I guess, real, and uh, and not really did not put any tension on myself. No, I mean, I've, I've spoke to them quite a few times and, and obviously been on the stage doing the MC and when, when in Seattle and things like there were obviously uh, lots of times we came together. But it's crazy in Dublin. I saw them and I hadn't seen them for a little while since since uh, Seattle. And I think it was Roland came running up and actually gave me a hug and he was like, it's great to see you, Steve. How's it going? And, and it's just like, they're just properly lovely, lovely people. Oh, yeah, um, awesome. yeah. When did they see the op- <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. see the opportunity to do um, something about competition? Because as you say, it started off as just an origin project that was going to be, you know, focusing on sourcing coffee. Then all of a sudden, this competition element came in. Yeah. So what was really interesting after Ethiopian trip, uh, I told them, "Hey, for next couple of months, uh, we're not going to do any traveling. I have barista competition." So I'm going to prepare and I'll I'll keep it quiet. And they said, "Barista competition? What do you mean? What's that?" I said, yeah, you know, we make 12 coffees, espressos, and we have judges, they're judging us. And so, okay. So, um, and then they asked me, when is the next one? Obviously, we had a state comp, and uh, they asked me if they can record. So the idea was that they actually just have some footage from competition, and maybe they use it in the documentary. Um, And then what was really good is on on these cameras, they have a kind of, when I met Hire for the first time, that was all recorded there. And uh, oh, wow. as a part of the these clips they had when Kire tasted, um, uh, when he cupped my competition coffee for the first time, and, you know, and looking at his reactions. Uh, and obviously because both uh, Jeff and Roland live in Melbourne, and a couple of weeks later after I won a state competition, 
uh, I competed in Melbourne in nationals. And because they already live in Melbourne, they said, ah, oh, we're going to record Australian barista comp as well. Yeah. I said, yeah, sure. And <laughs> so when I won Australian, uh, they both said, you know what? We're going to go to Seattle with you. I said, okay. <laughs> so suddenly that sort of movie or that story has completely changed. <laughs> um, but what, what was really cool is, um, I don't know if you remember during a semi-finals announcements, um, they announced me as the number 12th competitor. So, you know, number 10 and the number 11, someone else. And then as they were announcing number 12, uh, Roland goes, ah, oh, looks like a movie's going to end because <laughs> they did not expect me making to the semis. Uh, and he was kind of already thinking, uh, what's going to happen with the movie? Now, Sasha's not going to make finals and or semis and what do we do next? Uh, oh, I, I've had so much fun with those announcements. So it got stopped after a while because I just kept moving people around. And one of my favorite stories was in Melbourne that I, um, I moved Matt to the very end of the semi-final announcements to 12th because I just knew like your job as MC is to build like tension and build like, you know, b build some feeling in the crowd and stuff. And I knew if I put him 12th, the crowd would go mental. And um, him and Emily Oak came up to me at the end and was like, don't ever do that again. And I said, look, I promise you, if he makes finals, I'll call him first uh, tomorrow. Like, if he makes finals, he'll be the first name I call out. And they're like, okay. I ended up calling him second. Uh, which is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. Uh, so that was all your fault, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and the amount of times I've moved, when I've been announcing Colin, I've moved Colin to different places as right. well. It's, it's all the fun. Uh, um, but WC got a bit angry with me in Rimini when I moved. Uh, I moved Pete, Pete Williams, who was competing for Ireland. I moved him. Uh, and they got videos lined up to play on the screen, and I ended up nearly screwing it all up. So, yeah, so then I got told I couldn't do that anymore because <laughs> that, that was naughty, apparently. Um, uh, so well, you, 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 you made semi-finals, yeah. but then kind of you had a little bit of a kind of... Was it semi-finals or finals night that you ended up in the emergency room? Uh, so after semi-finals announcements, uh, I, ended up to, I ended up in the hospital. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. So as uh, soon as after the uh, semi-finals were announced, and I guess thankfully to you, you made me uh, <laughs> extra sick <laughs> with the expectations. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I ended up uh, going to hospital, and um, yeah, I was I was pretty shocked with uh, when I got my diagnosis from the doctor, and you know uh, I think it was forty, just under forty degrees temperature, low blood pressure, bronchitis, chest infection. Etc. So, um, so of course, at that point, you stayed in the hospital and you just got yourself well, and and and, and that's the end of the com the end of the competition for you, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was very lucky that Betty was there, my wife, and um, yeah. and she was really, you know, running around the hospital trying to get as much support from as many do doctors as possible. Uh, so I've stayed there for just under, I think it was just under four or five hours. Um, I think just before midnight, I ended up leaving the hospital, feeling a lot better, um, and wow. getting quite a bit of um, different uh, antibiotics and pills. And uh, yeah, I remember waking up every couple hours and drinking different pills and antibiotics and water. Uh, it was a pretty, pretty challengeable night. So you wake up the next morning and you end up having to do a presentation. Mm. And 
like I I only found out about you being sick after your after your presentation. I think I think it was like towards the end of it. Somebody I think John Gordon just leaned over to me and said he was in the hospital last night. And I'm like what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, like hey 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 what do you remember that well or were you just on autopilot going through all of the rotations? Definitely on autopilot. You know, having just one goal in the mind and uh, and. Uh, just trying to think how do I get my body as fast as possible back in action. One of the fears I had was uh, I had a really bad cough. And, uh, yeah. and you know, when, when we feel a little bit sick and at, at the end of the day we have 15 minutes and if there's no cough and if he can move, you know, the way I see it, I should be okay. Like, at least I'm not playing a physical sport and, you know, I, I, need, to be, I need to be physically prepared for competition. It's more, it's more mental. Um, and uh, but what I had a lot of fear by you know going there and doing my presentation and start coughing, especially when when we talk and we want to make sure we talk loud enough and clear enough so we could be understood by judges, and um, and that would you know that louder talking would usually cause for you know give me extra coughing as well. Um, so that that was one of the things that you know was really in the back of my mind. Hey. You know, I can't afford to do this on a stage. I know, I know exactly what you mean by that. Is that I've done a pre- I was I was flown somewhere and I can't remember where it was, but to do a presentation, and I got super, I got super sick. Like I just, I hadn't got the cough part, but I, I, I was really ill. But for twenty minutes, I managed to pull myself together yeah. and just go, right, let's do this. And I did it, and nobody knew. And like I, I got through it okay. Did the presentation and did the question and answers. And then went back to my hotel room and was violently ill again, you know. But I can't imagine the coughing part would scare the heck out of me because once you start coughing, yes, you can't stop, can you? You know, it just it just carries on. Yeah. So that, that um, was tough. But uh, you know what? What was really cool is, uh, and I mean, if people have not seen the movie yet, uh, there's a really cool clip when we were in a hotel and John was there and he there and like everyone. And uh, and my face looked like I, I finished a 15-round boxing match, like completely swollen, and I, I didn't look good. And I told the boys, hey, I'm feeling really good this morning, and, you know, I'm, I'm good, I'm going to be okay. And they all, like, people that were behind me, they're making faces, like, come on, <laughs> you look ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but team was really supportive, and I kind of, entire team was sort of ignoring my sickness. They did not, none of them wanted to talk about it. Like, Betty was doing the best things she could possibly do by giving me a tea every 20 minutes, all the medications. But all the other guys were just, you know, trying to get my mind of me that I was sick and, and help me out to put me in the right zone. And I mean, that, that semi-final, like talking to you and now like I, I can use this opportunity really belong my, to my team. Like I, I could not taste coffee that day. You know, there was yeah. Hire and John and Sam and Kelly. They've tasted the coffee. They've told me what coffee tastes like. And uh, and that's what I said to judges, and uh, because I, you know, I had no no sensations of any taste or aroma and and, and the flavor. So um, it's it's really weird, you know. So obviously, I've been involved a lot with Colin competing in the in the championships. You know, like being basically just you know, I've always roasted his coffee for him, so he always wants me to taste the coffee and 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 kind of you know just be part of the team. Um, and Colin always always gets sick. WBCs like it, without a failure he gets like a, a runny nose a cold like 
and I think it's something to do with you know getting on an aeroplane, going somewhere like you you do get a little sick like, and he gets to the point where he can't taste, and he always relied on me and Pizzi to kind of taste and go, well, what do you think? And it's like, yeah, maybe like tighten it a little bit, like pull it a little shorter, and and, and we and but also you don't you don't want to go on stage as a as a you know as a, a barista and be highly caffeinated so having that team of people that know how your coffee should taste is actually really good isn't it yeah absolutely and uh, you, you're right like colin was really sick in melbourne as well right yeah that's right every every time he's allergic to coffee competition i think <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah as i said team, team is the most important uh, thing in the barista competitions in my opinion and, and ha- having a team of people behind you it just yeah makes it a lot more fun I, I agree. I mean, one thing I always do as MC, like always religiously, is the last question is, it takes a lot of people to get you here. Is there anybody you'd like to thank? And and the coffee widows that, you know, we're, we're married to and, and, you know, the friends that don't see us for a long time and, you know, all of these people in the background and as well as the, the people who are standing there going through, run through after run through after run through are just phenomenal. Mm. Um, so we get, we get to the finals and... and you're standing there with the top six as one of the top six baristas in the world. Did you at that point think, yeah, I've nailed this, I've won this? Okay, <laughs> that's a good one. So what, what happened is, uh, it's going to be shown in a movie, like back in 2014, I made, you know, in the finals in Australia, even though, even though I, had a, I qualified uh, very, very well from a semis to finals in Australian barista comp, uh, and have done like really high scores. Uh, when I went to the finals, I made really silly mistake, like such a small mistake, but that costed me about 60 points. I'm kind of not going to say what mistake it was. I'd love people to watch the movie so they can see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, and that, you know, when you do such a terrible mistake that's costing you 60 points, you, you kind of think, you know, it's obviously we're not robots and maybe, maybe I'm going to, I've done this again. Uh, so when they were doing announcements, I was just hoping, hoping that I did not do that, you know, similar mistake and I did not end up, uh, number six because in WBC finals, everyone is amazing, of course. And it takes only to make, you know, a couple minor mistakes to, to drop your points. So, uh, the moment I found out that, um, you know, Charlotte was announced as number six, this is the moment when I felt pretty comfortable. Obviously not comfortable that I'm going to win. Absolutely not that comfortable, but comfortable that I should be sitting somewhere on a, on a top, you know, uh, top three, top, you know, top three competitors in, in WBC. So it gets down to the last two and there's you and Charles there. Obviously the crowd are going crazy for Charles because like, you know, he's always come second. It's like, this is his chance. This is his year. He kind of made finals and come first and like, it's, Charles's year and what's going through your head is the home crowd are like that you know just as they were for for Matt back in Melbourne you know and I think everybody should be supportive of their their, their homeboy how did that feel to you that you're standing there next to next to Charles Babinski who's you know he's a legend in the coffee in the coffee industry like an amazing barista like one of my favorite baristas to watch um, but he's on home soil. How did that feel at that point? Oh my God, goosebumps! <laughs> yeah. I was really scared. You know, I had this, uh, you know, cold sweat going through through my entire body, and uh, and it took me. I said, I can't believe that I'm going to take this trophy back to Australia. You know, I, I, 
like, am I gonna be able to take it? Uh, and I said, no, like this, no, no way in the world. <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't think, you know, I'll be walking back with the trophy. But there, there, there are so many emotions. Like, I think in between announcements, you know, from Ben Put to to second, I think my entire clip of my entire competition since 2008, and all of these experiences were going through my head, and and. You know, looking at the um, at the you know crowd as well, and and just picturing, you know, I'm so close. You know, please, <laughs> uh, yeah. I I remember I remember talking to Hide uh, just before we were to do announcement, and I've never seen somebody so nervous in my life because he was like, if I have to give it to anybody else. But Sasha, it's gonna feel weird, you know. It's like because he was presenting the trophy and I was doing the shouting and the screaming. Yeah. Um, and like at that point where you hear my terrible accented English, kind of like the Paris World Barista Champion, like you know Charles, yes. and then you're you're standing. <clears throat> how's that feel at that point? Like I, I I can't just like all of that work from 2008 to that point. Uh, I'm always interested in talking to world champions. He's like. What's the first thing that came into your head at that point? Oh my god! <laughs> oh, there, wow, there was like in, instantly I, I started having tears in my in my eyes, yeah. uh, and and I thought, you know, I just thought of the, you know, this is after so many years, after so many attempts. You know, after so many times Australia being being so close, and all of these amazing people that have inspired me to to be, you know, what I was back then, and you know, Scotty Callahan, all of the great champions that Australia had, am I the one taking this trophy back home? Uh, it was just, yeah, completely unreal experience. Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, the beauty is people can actually go back and relive this experience with it. For those who weren't in Seattle and didn't see it, um, there's obviously the movie now. Um, like, how's that been promoting that movie while being, you know, like you obviously, you know, are still doing some of your your work as the, the when you're a world champion, you always get these these gigs, these different things you have to do and promoting the movie at the same time. How's that been the, the balance? Oh, uh, well, um, yeah, uh, as, as you say, when, when we do uh, win World Barista Championships, we, we do have, we all feel like that we have responsibilities, and not only winning, like all people that do, you know, may, make finals and they, they're very respectful by, respected by the industry, we all feel that, and we, that we need to give back to communities. Yeah. Um, so, now, since, since Seattle, like, I've, I've traveled, you know, 220 days a year and uh, and uh, and going and you know do, running the workshops and, and doing everything I possibly could to um, I guess to share, share my experiences with the people and hopefully some people like uh, this experience that I, I had and uh, but uh, you know Stephen it, it was a lot of fun like I, I've tried to combine both of these things in the same time and Watching the premiere with Hire in uh, Thailand uh, about six, seven months ago, that was an amazing experience as well. And, uh, and I was in, in Japan uh, last week only, and we had the Coffee Man premiere 
in Japan together with Hiren and his his family as well. And um, I think they're all great moments. Like I don't enjoy watching movie anymore because I think I've seen it like 15 times and <laughs> tell you honestly, <laughs> I'm sick of it. But what I look forward to doing is a Q&A session after the movie and just seeing how people have experienced that movie as well and, and talking to them and sort of what bits and pieces they liked. Uh, but I, I was at um, I was at an event on Saturday. Uh, we were doing a, a tamper tantrum in uh, Manchester um, at Cup North, and um, I didn't know that the screening was on there. And I was just walking down this one kind of uh, alleyway of this trade show type thing, and all I hear is they give it up for the barista champion of Australia, and I'm like. So, I mean, there's been lots of screenings all, all over the world. What, what are the plans for the film going forward? Is it going to kind of come to DVD? Is it going to be a download that people can watch? How, how can people get to see the film? Yeah, so uh, Jeff, Jeff and Roland have done an absolutely amazing job since the um, since movie was launched back in Canberra. Uh, I think it was April this year. Uh, we've done 190 plus screenings all over the world. And uh, finally, from 30th of November, a uh, movie will be available on iTunes. Uh, which is... Uh, and, so uh, people can go on iTunes and just buy it, download it and watch it at their own delight. Exactly. And uh, there will be uh, special features, which I haven't seen yet. So I really hope they have not put too many silly things in the special features there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I must admit, I haven't had the, I've had, I haven't had the opportunity to watch it all the way through because um, I've been to screenings where it's been on, but I've had other commitments and stuff. So I I, I will be downloading it on the thirtieth. The first thing I will do is be downloading it and uh, and watching it because um, they get to hear my lovely voice. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and um, no, that's fantastic. So people can go there, download it, and um, and watch it. So we'll put a link in the notes as well, so people can find it easily um, and, uh, and be able to download it. Oh, thank you very much. So, Jen's also doing um, some um, uh, t talking to Jeff and Roland as well. So uh, we're going to have more from, from them, from their perspective of making it. Um, and I was meant to keep this to 30 minutes and we're now at nearly 50 minutes. So Jen's going to kill me. And I'm sure you have other things to do with your time, but um, I really enjoyed uh, talking to you, Sasha. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank it's, you very much. Um, uh, yeah, thank and, you. And, and, and it's been such a long time since uh, I've spoken to you. We kind of, uh, yeah. It's, I, it's always in a rush, so. Yeah, I think we need, we need to go have a beer and have that uh, game of table tennis together, right? Honestly, that that can be part of the extras of the next film where nice. I'm kicking your ass. Table okay, tennis. <laughs> uh, game is on. <laughs> oh, awesome. I'm much better at the trash talking than the doing. Trust me. Nice. Um, so again, thank you, thank you so much for being um, well for being the world champion that you you, you are as well. I mean, and I, I think it's very obvious the the stuff that you want to give back to the community comes across um, really well. Great, um, and. Um, yeah, thank you so much, mate. And um, thank yeah. you, mate. Look, you soon. Looking forward to talking to you soon. Thank you very much. Over and out. Bye bye. <laughs>